Hi, my name is Pat Live and welcome to Love the Music. Today's date is March 23rd, 2021. Welcome to the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. A series of conversations I had with 50 Canadian musicians over the span of several months back in 2020. Originally for my column, the decision was made to podcast instead so people could hear the artists in their own voices. Recorded with my phone, indoors and outdoors, in parks, patios and living rooms, the added noises are purely for your entertainment pleasure. By mid-June of 2020, Toronto had just experienced the first wave of the pandemic. The state of emergency had been lifted and people were tentatively starting to head outdoors and reconnect. Live performance had been effectively shut down, so I wanted to reach out to see how the artists have been coping and spending their time. Entire careers and livelihoods have been put on hold and no one knew for how long. We are now over a year into this pandemic and the gig economy, particularly live performance, has been devastated. Many artists have been working tirelessly, creating new ways to keep in touch with their audiences. Others have decided to leave the music business altogether. What's happening here is just a microcosm of what the industry has been experiencing worldwide. Everything has been shuttered since March of 2020, and even outdoor festivals are cancelling 2021, planning for the following year. There is still no indication when the resuscitation can begin, and it's becoming a rather desperate situation. Professional streaming is now beginning to take over social media with the requisite promos and ads to purchase tickets. How long people will want to experience or support the artists and the music in 2D sitting on their couch is anyone's guess. Today's guest is Samantha Martin. I had the opportunity to meet with Samantha back in July 2020. Edmonton-born, Ontario-raised singer-songwriter Samantha Martin is a petite powerhouse. Never underestimate the exploding force of her bluesy, soulful, New Orleans smoky bar voice. Her intelligence, wit, and take-no-prisoners attitude follow a close second. Presented with a guitar at the age of seven, Samantha was influenced by the country music her dad listened to and the R&B soul and funk her mom was partial to. Singing Janis Joplin's A Piece of My Heart at an open mic was the turning point. Music was her calling and the path she's followed ever since. Armed with a university degree in business, a perfectionist streak, a lot of grit, a strong work ethic, and a big heart, Samantha has forged ahead, releasing her first EP in 2004. Six albums later, she's earned two Juno nominations and 13 Maple Blues nominations, including Vocalist of the Year. Her most recent album, The Reckless One, was released October 20th last year, smack in the middle of the pandemic. Perfect timing. It's been nominated for a Juno Award for Blues Album of the Year. Samantha Martin and Delta Sugar were born of a need to put together a performance for Folk Alliance Canada that didn't include bass and drums. The combination of three vocalists and a guitar was created, and Delta Sugar have been a musical force ever since. Expanding from the original quartet to the current 12-piece ensemble, they are amazing performers and top-notch musicians, captivating audiences everywhere they perform, both in Canada and overseas. Accompanied by beautiful harmonies, Samantha's vocals just make them soar. 
My name is Samantha Martin. I run the band Samantha Martin and Delta Sugar, based in Toronto, but uh, I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta. Um, I also spent a good chunk of my childhood in Lion's Head, Ontario, and I've just been doing music now full-time for the last five years and since 2008 as a profession. Hi, Samantha. Hi, Pat. Okay. The first question I have off the mark is, where were you last year at this time? And where did you expect to be this year? Uh, last year, this time, I was, I think I was playing, well, definitely I was playing festivals, but I had just gotten off a European tour. Um, I had been in Europe in January and February of 2019. I had gone back to Europe in May of 2019. I was playing a lot of festivals at this time. For example, like we played Montreal Jazz Fest, uh, Ottawa Blues Fest in July. We played uh, King Cardin Blues Fest, the Lighthouse Blues Fest. Wow. Um, we had been playing a lot of festivals uh, last summer, and we had just got a Juno nomination that year. So in 2019 for the Blues. Thank you. Yeah, we got nominated yes. for the Blues Juno that in 2019. And then we were supposed to be releasing a record in May of 2020. And so we had a European tour lined up for May and June. Uh, we should have already played six festivals. We had another six festivals lined up for August. I lost almost $100,000, not including possible merch sales. So, it, you know, like where I was and where I expected to be and where I am is very vastly different. <laughs> vastly different. Yeah, like but... I was supposed to be in the middle of promoting a brand new record. So, so what's your situation now? Um... My situation now is trying to spend as little money as possible. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't been doing a whole lot. I've I've had to dial back mm -hmm. what I expected to do because I was supposed to be earning quite a bit more than Sir is paying, you know. But I I had to dial back my plans for the record release. So not only have we delayed the record release till the fall, hoping that um, we won't uh, lose momentum. I think the biggest thing for us was we don't want to release the record too soon if we can't tour it right. because then you lose the momentum of the press and the good reviews, hopefully, and that sort of thing. So, you know, we didn't want to delay it too much to lose the momentum we had already built, but we also didn't want to release it too soon before we can get back out on the road. So my team and I, we all kind of talked and we said, okay, well, you know, start releasing singles in September, October, release the record in November, and then go to Europe in February. So this is the full album. So yeah, the full album. So we'll release some singles in the fall, um, just so that we can extend the life of the album, as they say. But it's it's 
a fine line. It is a fine line, and it's a lot of reorganizing and rejigging and dialing back of, you know, like... Like I said earlier, I was supposed to have earned, the band, the business, was supposed to have learned, earned $100,000 in fees. Now, out of that $100,000, you know, that a lot of that money goes to expenses and band members and plane tickets and um, agent fees and management fees and all that kind of stuff. But it was still going to be enough money that I could have invested about $10,000 more than I can invest now, you know, so that means I'm not able to hire um, a publicist in the U.S., say, for example, mm -hmm. um, where I'm going to have to rely on doing a lot of that myself. So instead of paying somebody else to do it, it's back on my plate. <laughs> busy, busy. Yeah. So the pandemic and the isolation, has it changed the way you make yourself relevant? I'm, you know, here's the thing. I've I guess this goes to what we were speaking about prior to when the interview started right. um, with live streaming. Like I feel a lot of musicians yeah. are really struggling to, they feel like they have to continue to yeah. play in order to stay, you know, in people's minds. And a lot of musicians feel like they have to play because they need the money that people donate. And I totally understand that. But I did one. I did one live stream. It was a lot of work for me because I had to transform my apartment into a stage. And I don't play solo. That's not a, a thing that I enjoy doing. No, you're usually with the band. Yeah, I usually, I, I usually play with at least six other people. <laughs> and I've seen that, yes. So, uh, you know, like oh, up to 11 other people, but it's it's this kind of thing where I I really, um, I, I'm not really sure if I, I don't want this to sound callous, but I don't give a shit. It's like, it doesn't, you know, I don't play solo, so I'm not going to do solo shows just for the sake of staying relevant because that's also not the product that that's I'm selling. That's too forced for you. Yeah, it's forced. It's not natural. It's it's not comfortable. It's not something that brings me joy. Right. I enjoy playing music with other people. And with, you know, the new record coming out in September, I've got plenty of stuff that I'm doing behind the scenes that will help me remain relevant in the future. This is the longest break that I've ever taken from playing music since I started playing music full time. And at first it was a welcome break at this point, you know, in late July. Yeah, I'm like kind of itching to get back at it and I'm looking for ways to get back at it. You know, now that some of the areas in, in Ontario have opened up into phase three, you know, like I'm reaching out to um, fans, family, friends who have large backyards or they have acreages, that sort yeah. of thing, and, and seeing if we can do socially distanced concerts and that sort of thing. So, you know, like I feel like this was a great time to reflect on what I've done in the past and what I want to do in the future because there's when you were as when an artist is as busy as I have been in the last two years, you know, it it's really hard to just 
sit back and take stock and make a plan and a new plan and, and set those new goals because you, you have them in your head, but part of setting those goals is, is an action plan. And sometimes those action plans take a lot of thought and a lot of downtime to kind of lay out, well, how exactly would I do this if this is my goal? So that's what the pandemic has given me is just like a, a second, a breather. I'm, but I can breathe now and I, and I'm ready to get back to work. <laughs> Are you writing at the moment? No, no, no writing. I, I, because I had just written for the last record or for this new record that's right. coming out. I, I really had put so much energy into that, that I'm not the type of artist who just is constantly writing songs. Right. I'm just not, I'm, that's just not the kind of art, um, songwriter that I am. I need deadlines. I need, I work better under pressure. So I need deadlines. I need, you know, like, okay, this, we're going into the studio. Like I'll be writing right while we're in the studio. I'll be writing. But as soon as the songs have been chosen for the album, that's when I stop writing and I just focus on really getting the songs that I've already written being performed live and, and, you know, focusing on the live show and what I want to do with that and focusing on the back end of like the business. How are you coping personally? Personally, I've had my ups and downs with it for sure. For sure. Like initially, like I said, I was, I was like, Hey, you know, Hey, a little downtime can't hurt. (laughs) You know, like I, because I had been so busy and I was starting to burn out and I was already at that starting to burn out phase when, when COVID hit and if COVID hadn't have come along, I would have been like at this point, if you had been interviewing me at this point without COVID and everything, I probably would have been like, completely burnt out because it was just, it was a lot and it was happening fast and it was that sort of thing. So in a way, like I feel like I'm better, but there was some dark points. There was some definite dark points in the, um, initial sort of after like two or three weeks, the city was creepy. Number one, like that you could have shot a cannon down queen street West and, and it was, it was, unnerving and it was really strange to walk to be able to hear the power lines in Toronto because that's something that you don't notice you know is all that energy and and stuff like that from power lines from cars driving from people you're constantly soaking up other people's energy and like the environment's energy so it was really strange to me to then be able to hear a bird chirp two and a half blocks away and hear the power, like power running through yeah. the power lines. I was like, it's well, this hum. is just, yeah, it was just so weird to me. And it felt dystopian in a lot of ways. And surreal, surreal. Yeah. And I just, I felt a real deep sense of loneliness. I, you know, like even yeah. though I'm, you know, in a very healthy, happy relationship and, you know, like, Mind you, we we moved in together because of COVID, you know, So, because I was like, I can't afford to keep paying rent for a house I'm never in. So, you know, it 
it definitely hurried some stuff along, you know, time will tell if that was a good idea or not, but you know, it's, it's, if I didn't have my partner, it would have been a very different thing, I think, you know, but because I was, I'm quite happy and content and, and that sort of thing in my personal life, there were some dark spots, but nothing like I know a lot of musicians yeah. have gone through. I try to find some of the humor in it. Live performance. That's always a key in the development of any artist. It doesn't matter how long you've been around. So we're now in a freeze frame moment. How, what do you see in the future for the music business for, for live performance? Um, What's in your mind's eye? Well, I mean, it's kind. It's it's hard to say because, first of all, I'm I'm influenced by the articles that are coming out, right? That are telling me what they think mm -hmm. that the live music uh, scene is going to look like. I'm definitely concerned, for sure, about smaller venues, mid -size, mid sized venues. I am sure that festivals by next summer, you know will be up and running, but maybe not at their original full capacity kind of thing. They might have to limit tickets or that sort of thing. I'm concerned about the concert style, like almost like a theater, mm -hmm. like even though it's outdoors and everybody, but everybody's got to be seated and they can't dance and they can't sing along and they can't do that, you know, all this kind of stuff. I, I, I'm a little concerned at, because as a performer, you feed off the energy yep. of the crowd. Yep. And if everybody's sitting there cross-legged with their arms folded across their chest, you know, can't dance, can't sing along, can't party down with the band. I'm a little bit concerned about the vibe of it, yeah. but it will come back. I'm concerned about small venues. You know, there's going to be less places for musicians to cut their teeth. I think for me... Personally, my concern is just basically the vibe of shows. Because yeah. I know they will come back eventually when it's safe to do so. And, and you know, I will play any show you ask me to play, you know. But, it, the, the, you know, even the, the live streaming, yeah. not having an audience, it's awkward. It's awkward to You're play. not the first one to mention it, that. It it's really like silence when you finish the song. Yeah. Like I couldn't grasp the concept. It's like, it's I, yeah, it, it is. It, it feels it feels like your wallpaper, musical wallpaper, you know, and, yeah, and, and that, you know, you don't, because you're not, you don't have anybody to feed off the energy, you, do, you don't know if people are connecting with what you're doing and that's such a big part of the live music experience is connecting with your audience you know when I tell a joke on stage or I you know do some self-deprecating humor which I'm you know do often I you, yes. uh, you know like to not have anybody laugh it's just like I don't know was that funny or do I just find that funny? Am I weird? Yeah, I need the feedback. Yeah. And the same with, you know, when the song is done, it's like, you know, when you're playing to 10,000 people and they're all clapping, or at least enough of them that it's like, it can be thunderous, you know, and that's, it's like a validation for whether you're doing a good job or not. 
you know, or like seeing people dance, seeing smiles on people's faces, seeing toes tapping even. It's it's the validation of, okay, I'm doing a good job. People are connecting. It's interaction after the show at the merch table with people who come up and tell me, you know, like, I, you know, I lost my mother and and that song that you did really you know speaks to me or I just got out of this really terrible relationship and and that song that you did really speaks to me and it's you know helped me heal and those sorts of things so that's what I miss about it and that's what I'm concerned that if going forward that there's such a disconnect between the audience and the performer like you know no merch no signing no merch tables no you know no dancing, no you know singing along, no nothing. I'm a little bit concerned about how that is going to affect the um, interaction between and connection between the artist and the. And on that note, a little music. I've got a feeling was the first track written for the new record, and it's where the album title "The Reckless One" comes from. In Sam's words, it's really just that—a feeling. I wrote the song about the honeymoon phase of falling in love with someone and all that experience entails. You're scared and vulnerable, but also feeling excited and hopeful. You count down minutes till you can see each other again. You daydream about what your life might look like together, and you desperately want it to work out this time. I hope this song makes you reminisce of the first time, or the tenth time in my case, that you thought you were in love with someone who just moved your world in a way you didn't think was possible. I lost my mind When I found you I couldn't believe that you wanted me to Kisses are sweet If that's all you do But there is something about talking Feel like we 
to the pandemic interviews conversations in a changing time we just heard i've got a feeling by samantha martin and delta sugar off their juno nominated album the reckless one you're listening to a conversation i had with samantha back in late july 2020 a couple of the interviews i've had both of them just recently um now voice the concern that depending on how long this lasts and how long we don't have a lot of live performance that their children may not be able to experience what we've experienced playing and going to live shows in in a crowd. I mean, it may not be 30 or 40 or 50,000, but even if you have several hundred at a show, because, you know, it's to the point where there's so much happening online, the kids are glued to it. 
So you fast forward that, it, you know, theoretically it could be two, three or four years. They've been influenced by all that stuff online, having never experienced a live show. I, I don't and, feel that live music is going anywhere. I really don't I feel that it's going anywhere because there's still enough people who want to see their, like, it might not be Samantha Martin and Delta Sugar, but people want to go and see Beyonce live. People want to go and see, you know, the spectacle of live music. Whether or not smaller um, venue, like that intimate setting in a smaller venue, that might take a lot longer to come back, but it will come back eventually. Live music, live music has been around for so long. It's going to take a lot more than COVID nineteen to get rid of it. You know, I, I'm thinking. You know, like I just, <laughs> I, I don't so. think that it's going anywhere. No, I, don't, I don't either. I, I think it's concern. on pause. Yeah, it's on pause, and it's it's definitely going to be. You know, it could be a long pause, but at the end of the day, the you know, there will always be demand for live music because, you know, like your friends, they've seen live music. So as soon as there's live music to take their kids to, they're going to make it a priority to make sure that their children have that experience because it, it because it is much different than watching something on a TV screen. The electricity and the energy of being in a crowd of four or 500 like-minded people people who enjoy the same thing you know that you know the four or five hundred people that are watching the show all enjoy the band <laughs> that experience of going to see live music is irreplaceable it doesn't matter how good technology tries to catch up there's nothing like being in the room when there's live music happening you're going to see a lot of people doing house concerts, doing concerts in people's backyards, I'm that gonna, sort of thing. I'm going to move the next question forward because you're about the fifth person. That's a, it's a good segue into one of the questions that I have. Before I ask Sam that question, we're going to take a little music break. For our second song, we're going to hear Loving You Is Easy. Again, in Sam's words, when you are first romantically interested in a person, you get what people call butterflies when you see them or when you kiss them for the first time. In my experience, it's the same feeling you get when you move a little too close to the edge of a cliff. That's probably why they call it falling in love. The whole thing is an exercise in trust and whether or not that person is going to catch you before you hit the ground. If you have been hurt in the past, it takes a lot to trust someone new.
Welcome back to the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. We just heard Loving You is Easy by Samantha Martin and Delta Sugar from their latest album, The Reckless One, nominated for a Juno for Best Blues Album of the Year. You're listening to a conversation I had with Samantha back in late July 2020. So for the first time ever, everybody worldwide is on a level playing field. Do you think this is, might be a golden opportunity for communities and local artists to rise? Smaller venues, less expensive tickets, get out there, start playing, and sort of bring back the sort of community spirit? Because of travel, yeah. I really think so, because there's going to be... Sorry to have cut you off, but no, it, but yeah, travel yeah. is going to play a really yeah, big part role. in this. And so... A, a good example is Europe. Europe will allow Canadians to travel to Europe. Europe will not allow U.S. residents to travel to Europe. So, you know, like these these sorts of things are going to play a really big part in how we are able to come back. Um, countries who handle the crisis better are going, who are able to open up sooner, are going to get ahead of the game. You know, um, so this is good for local artists. This I mean, is if, good for local artists, like prepping. Toronto. Toronto, you know, just as a micro yep. view of what it is, there will be when Toronto's able to open up into phase three, you're going to see a lot of live music popping up in parks and the drive-in theater over on Polson Pier. You're going to see a lot more, you know, music starting to kind of just happen. I've already seen it in Kensington yeah. Market where you have two people socially distanced busking on the streets. It's just starting to bubble up. It's starting it. to yeah. bubble up. Now, because of, of travel restrictions and also musicians being very careful not to start a second wave. Mm -hmm. You know, musicians don't want to be... Musicians want to play music, but they want to do it responsibly. And they don't want to be the, the you know, oh my God, a hundred people got infected with COVID at my show. You know, like they don't want that kind of stuff. So you're going to see, you know, like a lot of very localized shows happening. There's going to be a focus on local. Yeah. And, and that sort of thing. And whether or not the cream rises to the top in that regard, you know, like, do I feel that it's going to, you know, it's an opportunity, it's an opportunity to do that. To work it. Absolutely. It's an opportunity. Everything's an opportunity though. Yeah. You know, they keep promoting, you know, shop local, eat local, grow local. So to me, it's like, okay, listen, local. local. P artists who are just coming out or artists who are mid-level and like any artist that's mid-level or below is going to get to work before some of the bigger artists because you know so it might give the opportunity for Canadians to see that there's more out there in their own backyard in their own backyard you think 2020 is going to be a career killer for a lot of musicians I sure hope not <laughs> Well, I mean, there's some that are saying, well, I don't want to tour anymore. I think I'm just going to stay home. There are others that are now starting to get other jobs, full-time jobs. There are others. I mean, there's musicians that were just, you know, out of the starting gate. They haven't had a chance to really get a fan base, and all of a sudden, boof, the wall comes down. 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely going to thin the herd. For I sure. use the word "call the herd," but thin yeah, the yeah, herd sounds a little gentler. Yeah, it's <laughs> gonna thi- it's gonna thin the herd for sure. You know, like being a professional touring live music playing. It takes a special kind of dedication and a special kind of, I don't have anything else that I can picture myself doing for the rest of my life type person right? to be able to do that. And, and several things will change that for people. You know, having a family will change your priorities. You put a kid or two kids into that situation, that changes for a lot of people. Yeah. That you know that changes for a lot of people, but the you know biggest thing too is you know like it depends on how committed you were to it, how much money you had invested in it before this all happened. Like for me, it's too late to turn back now. I have invested all all of my eggs are in one basket, and that's my career. I'm not going to just stop just because COVID said, I will readjust, I will pivot, I will, you know, I will do all of those things to keep going because it's not, it's not about the money in a lot of ways. It is. Don't get me wrong. I need the money to keep going. You gotta live. I gotta live, but it's, you know, like if you really, 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 really love what you're doing, you will always pivot. You know, and, and there will be musicians who, you know, were just getting started off and then they had to go and get a job working at a, you know, nine to five kind of job that was more secure because they had rent to pay. Listen, I get it. And I am not above making money any way I can make money. You know, like I've, I've hung drywall, I've painted, I've laid flooring, I've you know, clean toilets. I've done it. I've done it all in order for me to continue to play music. Right. But where I, yeah, like, I don't think it's going to be the killer of careers. I think it's going to just make people decide whether they're going to pivot or leave altogether. Do you think that artists are more flexible or adaptable or can pivot more easily than Absolutely. others? I mean, especially those in the gig economy. I mean, I think you've got to be pretty creative to uh, pivot. We, we invented the pivot. <laughs> invented the pivot. I like that. You know, I, I think, and that's the thing, because, you know, if you look at a lot of artists, it's like, oh, I'm a painter, but I, I'm a barista. You know, I, I, I'm a barista to pay my bills, and I'm an artist to, you know, fulfill my soul and my calling. Musicians are used to juggling several different things. That's, I think, the thing that a lot of people who are just getting into the gig economy don't realize is that this isn't, it's a lifestyle as much as it is a career. So do you think this is a time to sort of, it's a time to reflect, but also to prepare yourselves or plan so that when the gate opens, everybody's ready at the starting gate and you're just going to... Oh, definitely. Definitely. Like that. Oh, yeah. That was sure. a forward motion with the hand like you're bursting through the gate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, this time has given me better. Like I'm definitely better prepared to release the record. Mm-hmm. And, and as soon as those gates open, I will be running ready to go. 
when you say prepared as in like could could I have prepared for my career disappearing overnight for my ability mm. to earn money overnight absolutely not you can't prepare for this yeah. kind of stuff you know like you can they say um you know like people who are financially responsible people have three months worth of expenses saved up we're already it's been since march so march april may so now we're in june july right well it's four and a half, four and a half. right four and a half months that's all well and good to say that i need to have three months savings well, i did i did have three months savings and if it wasn't for the Canadian government offering the CERB, I would be hooped by now, <laughs> right? So that's five months of savings. Now, in order to have even three months of savings, you need to pay artists better. You can't expect somebody who, you know, is passing the hat or, you know, making, squeezing by, making ends meet, on their $900 basement apartment that they've lived in for five years. Plus they've got a, you know, even if they've got the crappiest phone bill, they're paying 60 bucks a month there. They, you know, their internet bill so that they can book their shows and, and then they got to feed themselves. They've got maybe a car payment on their 1992 Honda Civic. Like we're, we're talking about like, in order to live in Toronto, the average person living very modestly is paying $2,000 a month. Very modestly. You need six grand in the bank. That person who was able to squeak by making $2,000 a month at past the hat gigs, you know, playing every night of the week, sometimes twice a day. And they were hustling. They were out there hustling to try to get the money together. And they had just maybe started to get on their feet and then somebody pulled the rug out from underneath them, shut them down for five months. And then their landlord's kicking them out of the uh, basement apartment they lived in for the last five years because they're two months behind on rent. You know, like, it, it, this is the thing. It's like really well, it's all well and good for people with money to tell people without money how they should have been better prepared. But there is so much more at play. Oh, for goodness sake. It's yeah. insulting. You can swear. No, it's just... Oh, it's, a lot of people have been swearing on this. It's fucking <laughs> insulting. It is. It, it is. really is. It's really just like it's not fair. Do you, what do you think it's going to take to get people back into the live venues? Encourage them back out. Yeah, I, I... This is the thing. I think there are people... like Because I'm even just thinking about me trying to convince my band members... And the varying degrees uh, of, you know, responses that I've had from certain band members. Some me band members are like, yeah, let's do it. And then other band members are like, maybe can we wait and see how the, you know, phase three goes before we commit to doing. And then there's other band members who are like, no thanks. Not until there is a vaccine. That could be years down. I know. But I, I, I know, but I mean, that those are all personal choices. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm not, certainly not saying to any of my band members, you know, like, you have to do this, otherwise yeah. you're out of the band. You know, like, or, like, there's, nobody's got a, you know, nobody's got guns to people's heads saying you got to play. Nobody's got guns to people's heads saying you got to go and see people play. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see 
Um, I think as, as long as there's an abundance of precaution, socially distanced, plenty of hand washing situations, you know, like face coverings. Like I think, I think if everybody can get on board with the mask, people who don't wear masks will probably come to shows. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they don't care. But they wouldn't go to the show if you told them they had to wear a mask. The people who are wearing masks, who are comfortable so long as everybody else is wearing masks. So it's really hard to say. Me personally, I'm, you know, I'm hoping that we'll be able to get back into it. That people will want to go and see live music. That we will be able to provide as musicians or as hosts of live music, we can make people feel comfortable. I think, you know, a lot of people are gonna be kind of starved for that experience. I, I don't know, I think um, people will definitely want entertainment. People, when, when people feel safe to do so, they'll want to go out, they'll want, because we've been holed up inside of our homes, we're like, go to the beach or, you know, do little day trips and that sort of thing. People are already itching to get out and do something, anything. One of the things that's been happening out there and a little bit of research that I've been doing on this whole thing with musicians is the sales of online, online sales of instruments have just gone through the roof. And they're mostly in North America, not just in Canada, um, and some of it worldwide. They're, they're out of instruments. There are no guitars to be had online, etc. The other thing is that's happening is that musicians, you know, are starting to, oh, I learned how to play flute in high school. I think maybe I'll just pull that out of the nether regions of my closet or the guitar that's been collecting dust in the corner. So there's a little bit more um, experimentation. Mm -hmm. I think um, I'm, one of the questions was, do you think the approach to writing is going to change and reflect that? But the other thing is, do you think there might be a renaissance in music coming our way? A renaissance in music. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. I think people... Okay, in our, in our busy lives, pre-COVID, mm -hmm. we would be so busy. And we would consume... We would have to consume entertainment in snippets. Right? Whether it be on the radio, uh, in the Uber, on the way to work, or, or you know, and YouTube, and like little snippets of things. Our attention span was very, very small. What COVID has done is it's made us slow down, and maybe, I think there's going to be a moment, like a moment even, even a flicker of substance that might come out of this, because people will be... Artists will be able to take time to really think out what they want to put out in the world instead of just like everybody consuming at a very fast pace, like just a machine. Yeah, like a machine, right? Because that's what that's what the music industry has become is this this machine that puts out tasty little ear niblets, you know, like just tasty little niblets for you to consume very quickly and toss the package out. It's, it's like a, a consumption model. Musicians have had more time to write and reflect and, and 
really try to give meaning and value to their art because we've been deemed non-essential, you know, like we've been deemed meaningless. And sometimes that, you know, like, what do you mean I'm meaningless? I have meaning. Let me show you, you know, like, I think you might get a little bit of that, you know, like I hope that venues focus on musicians who do this for a living instead of those weekend warrior types who pull rehearse in, in, you know, Gary's garage on, on every other Tuesday and then go play for uh, chicken wings and a jug of beer. Those are the people that devalue what we do. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking them, but you know, maybe give us a chance to get back at it before you start eating up all the gigs. Because there's only going to be so many gigs to go around. So I hope that the venues focus on on professional musicians. Quality. And quality. Pay them properly. Let me get back into my career. Let, you know, all these other musicians across the country who overnight had their career and their only means of earning money disappear overnight. Give us a chance to get back here's a bit of a loaded question do you think that the circumstances that the pandemic has created that maybe people have grown slightly more appreciative of artists and what they have to offer specifically musicians more a little bit maybe garnering a little bit more respect maybe heightened the awareness of their contribution i'm 50 50 yeah i'm 50 50 on it i really i feel like people who were going out to see live music on purpose will always appreciate live music right because i i look at this i look at this from the perspective of when i was the manager at the dakota tavern the weekend would come friday saturday and you would get the people that were going out to be seen you couldn't charge more than a five dollar cover ten dollar cover for the music and they would bitch and moan about this five ten dollar well we're not really here to see the band we're just here to drink those kind of people could give a rat's ass whether live music is coming or they didn't make the connection before and i don't think they're going to make the connection now so what have you learned from all of this uh i've learned that when given the opportunity i will eat a whole thing of ice cream to myself (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I like, I've learned a lot. I've learned how to garden <laughs> in my spare time now. Um, I've built furniture with my partner. I've learned that me and my partner are quite compatible because we've managed to, you know, survive COVID and still love each other. Um, I've learned lots of things about myself, you know, like it just what I'm capable of surviving you know this just add one more thing to the list that i that i'm like a cockroach you know what i mean like i'm gonna go out like keith richards hopefully you know like i survived oh, the apoc- yeah, it's like survive the apocalypse i learned what matters to me because i took because i was able to take stock of what i had what i needed just taught myself how to be content with where i'm at and just kind of learn you feel more relaxed i feel more relaxed don't i yeah, you do. I am. You do. You feel much more relaxed. When this is all said and done and everybody's back out playing again, who would you like to either open for or share the stage with? Can I give two? 
Okay, you can give two. Okay, I can give two. Yeah. So on a personal level, okay. I would like to do some shows with Tanika Charles. Because mm-hmm. I, I, her and I just really enjoy each other's energy. We have a lot of laughs. We have a lot of fun. And I think it would be really cool if Tanika and I went out on a tour together. Together, mm-hmm. I, not opening for either, just like let's co-bill yeah. and let's go on like a huge tour. It's going to be so much fun. Um, on a professional level, I would love to open up for like Marcus King or Tedeschi Trucks mm-hmm. or the Black Crows or something like that because I just, I really feel like it would be a really cool mix of vibes and yep. stuff like that. So like... Marcus King, Tedeschi Trucks, you know, like, I know I'm giving you way mm-hmm. more answers than you That's were okay. looking for, but it's really hard to choose, you know, like, it's just really but, hard to yeah, choose. I know. It's just like, what? one artist. I know, one but artist. I know, it's hard to choose. It's really hard to choose because they're for different reasons, you That's know, good. personally and professionally. It's like, I'd love to open up for one of the bigger bands. Yeah, one hour 54. Oh, you're going to have to cut that down. You've just listened to a great conversation I had with Samantha Martin back in July 2020. It was a pleasure to sit with Sam one-on-one and get to know her, not just through the lens of the camera, but without the additional paraphernalia, noise, and hubbub that is usually around when photographing and chatting at clubs and festivals. Thank you, Sam. Also, thanks to all of you who have taken the time out of your busy schedules to listen, inviting us into your cars, offices, and homes. To Eddie and Quincy Bullen and Paul DeLong, many thanks once again for writing and performing the Love the Music theme song. Follow me on Podbean or any one of the platforms you're using and you'll be notified automatically when the next conversation is published. I am Pat Blythe and you're listening to Love the Music. Have a great day and a wonderful evening.